It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spurs in full cry here. Look at Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man who has become a self-taught expert in corners. It's Nathan O'Clark. Hello, Nathan. (laughs) You just look at where the guys are standing and ascribe made-up terms from... Do you know, I've always had a a set-piece routine in my head. (laughs) It seems so obvious, uh, and yet I've never seen anyone use it. Right, so you you have the player taking the corner who yeah. is like a Harry Kane, for example, someone who takes a good corner but is also good at being <laughs> right. at the end You're of the corner. Immediately lambasted in the media if this doesn't mm. perfectly yeah. work out. Uh, yeah, Harry Kane I'm, the I'm willing to take that hit. Okay, okay, Harry You're Kane. Confident. Harry Kane, who is also a brilliant passer, passes a, a ball out to let's say the edge of the box, but it could be ten yards deeper than that. Uh, and meanwhile, at the back post. Someone who's another good crosser peels away to the opposite corner. The ball goes out to that person. Harry Kane charges into the middle. That person puts a back post cross in. And you've got a, an unmarked header at the back post. Mm. Uh, I think my mm. plan is better. I think we should... Um, Go on. We should get Dyer and Romero together. And um, they should grab Sessignon. And as it's crossed in, <laughs> or Reguillon. And they should just fling him like a, like a torpedo at the ball and get him to header it in. Mm. I'd pay... Double season ticket to watch that every corner. <laughs> every corner. How much damage is Sessignon going to take over the course of a season? Okay, man. He's fragile enough as it is. Of, we need someone a bit more robust. But could you imagine? Okay, maybe we get Davinson. Imagine Davinson and Romero throwing Dyer at something. <laughs> you know, you, you could you could t- you could have taken down the Berlin Wall with Dyer. Yeah. But how is he but, meant to direct a header in midair whilst also trying to save himself? One, it looks funny. Two, it creates chaos. And for Kane to tap in at the back post. But the problem is we'd need someone to deliver a good corner. I want to know, has Nathan been studying Sonny's bounces of the ball? Does that mean anything? Sonny's, oh, before he takes the corner. Like, mm. is that a secret code? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. I don't. I don't. I think it is. So, mm. <laughs> it I think could... it's an equivalent to the, you know. Right. But... <laughs> maybe harder to read uh, the thing with this is like the the main pattern that i saw from them is that 
um, players would repeat the same moves, right? Uh, targets would repeat the same moves regardless of where the ball goes. Mm. They would have assigned roles and they would do those roles. They would begin those roles before the ball is struck. And then the ball would end up in one of three locations so that you're maintaining a threat for all three of those and giving the opposition three different situations to defend. So Sun telling them where the ball's going to go isn't affecting what they're doing, basically. So that's that's why I'm like, Good maybe, point. but maybe Good not. Point. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, absolute galaxy brain situation is that the ball bouncing is a decoy to make the opposition think that it means something when it doesn't because every corner is just the same for the players in the box. I'm going to I'm going to go against my um, my standing on this podcast as like real football man uh, <laughs> man man in the pub but I think we should just take short corners every corner. I think I think the statistically corners you don't really score many from them. I think we've scored one from 67. So let's just do a load of short corners, mix it up a bit and then work an angle to chuck it in instead of just aimlessly binning it in. There's definitely a lot of that under Conte, as Nathan's video showed, or they attempt to do that a lot, but they don't always get the pass back to the corner taker. <laughs> um, very effective. Basically, they overhit that pass a bunch of times, and it means then you have to improvise, which um, that certainly was my takeaway from Nathan's video, which is really brilliant, by the way. Um, it's, yeah, the, the level of detail that's going on in the box. I think is impressive considering we've not had Conte in charge for very long. I mean, it's, sim- it's simple but effective stuff and actually it's worked already. You know, we've had some successes. Yeah. It is good and it is impressive like relative to what the team's doing. But like yeah. the fact that this can be achieved in a couple of training sessions <laughs> shows how much everyone who's failing to do stuff like this is yeah. is just really failing overall. I do have a question on this. I'm, I, we're probably not the right people to answer that. But if in rugby they can yeah. they can create a situation where it's a rehearsed set of movements and it works majority of the time, it works for that team. So basically, if you've got a throw in a line up, a lining, a throw in, whatever you call it, um, pretty much it's very difficult for the opposition to get the team that doesn't have the ball to get it back or to win it. And if they're able to construct a series of movements and events that enables them to get the ball back why can't we do it in football or is there just the fact that when you're kicking it there's less accuracy than throwing it it is that i mean that's just a theory we've got no football to talk about so we might as well hypothesize <laughs> about uh, set pieces but why can they do it in rugby but footballers can't do it hmm. any, any <laughs> thoughts well i do think that the 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 accuracy of the throw versus the kick is significant hmm. um but i think I think a lot of it is just a matter of the rehearsal and the fact that they do that preparation in rugby and there isn't mm-hmm. that much preparation done for set pieces mm-hmm. in football. And when there is, as you've seen, we're getting shots and we've scored. We only scored one goal. Sanchez is Sanchez's Davinson's, goal. I think that's mm-hmm. it. But we th- we threaten shots, multiple yeah. shots oh, yeah. from the 30 corners yep. that we've taken, you know. Okay. I think you're right. I think um, rugby is a game with lots of set pieces in it. So they prioritise the training of them probably slightly higher than, than they do in football. Um, yeah, Brent, Brentford are an interesting team to watch because they've got Charlie Good playing at the moment, who's a long throw specialist. So, I mean, he's, he's a, a terrible footballer, but he's a terrible footballer. He's not the best, is he? But every time they have a, a throw-in anywhere close to the opposition box, they send their big centre-back Charlie Good forward to take the throw-in, regardless of which side it's on. Uh, and they've obviously been like that's something they've worked on quite a bit. And that's not something we've seen for a little while, I don't think, in the Premier League. Like to that degree, it's like any time it's close, he's there. I don't recall that happening for a fair old while. No, 
There hasn't been a, a, I can't remember the last good footballer who could chuck a ball. Maybe Bale, but he he stopped taking throws. But he could really, he could. He, he had could a great throw on him. Yeah, it was flat as well. You know, it's, yeah. the, it's the the looping ones are fine, but if you can get a hard flat ball, it's like a cross. Basically, that's mm. that's a weapon, isn't it? Anyway, we could talk about we could talk about <laughs> set pieces for the next hour, but we're not going to. We're going to talk about COVID instead. Um, but first, first, mm. congratulations to Gianni and Rachel, not Sarah, on their on their wedding day. <laughs> Hope you had a, a wonderful time. Um, there's a little callback there to anyone who might remember my faux pas. Um, and I was on the A Bit Spursy pod. Shout out to Dan and Barney, two fine Australian gentlemen. Barney, you've also been on their pod as well. So I, I see. I, it was me. I was the, the gateway to getting you. That's the, I, I thought they just wanted me, but actually they just used me to get through to you. I, it's, uh, kind of, it's moments like this you realise you're standing within, within Koi's um, podcasting. Yeah, but you know what this means. Like the, the big boss is the, <laughs> is the one they really want. Yeah. Isn't it? So yeah, I'm, you know. I'm the thing they stick on. I'm the I'm the bait they put on the little hook. You're the the mm. big carp. Absolutely. Like you, you're the sardine. I'm the carp, <laughs> and then and then Nathan's the fucking killer whale. <laughs> oh, I'd say all right. Okay, I'm I'm part three in this operation. You reckon? I, I suspect no. so. Okay, yeah, um, I think so. They're lovely. Had a very the nice clean chat. sweep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I had to um, cut short my appearance on the a bit Spursy podcast because I was also on a on a BBC on a BBC uh, video thing. Um, so I, I came off the call with them, jumped onto the BBC thing, and then was literally there for five minutes. And it's like, oh, for God's sake, I could have been <laughs> I could have been talking to Dan and Barney this whole time. Anyway. So the BBC's on the clean sweep as well. They've had Barney on, they've had you on, but when they have yeah. you two on, they have your face and your voice. When it's me, they only take my written words. Then they don't, I'm not safe for the for, for screen, especially in the morning, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? We're all over the BBC. Well, not as much as other podcasts were during the Conto thing. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Oh, fair enough. I, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't comparing notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always making notes, Wendy. <laughs> I know you are. I, you, you never change. Never change, Vardy. Um, thank you to everyone who submitted voice notes um, about the Y Word issue, which is something we've been platforming recently. Uh, really fascinating stuff. We've had some... Well, we've had a lot of engagement, frankly. Lots of emails about it. People saying thank you. People saying, hmm, yeah, not quite. Um, so we're going to probably add a couple more voice notes to the end of this podcast. Uh, I wanted to briefly touch on David Badil, um, someone who's come up in a couple of the voice notes and who is clearly someone who has a, a deep understanding of, of the issues. But uh, as it was made known to me, has yet to apologise to Jason Lee for his... Um, ridiculing racial ridiculing of him in the 90s which he has absolutely apologized for and is clearly very sorry about but frankly until he actually apologizes to jason lee that is irrelevant so um so yeah i just wanted to make that very clear um thanks also to harry who wrote a very nice email to us and said that he's essentially heard enough now from these voice notes to switch from being a staunch defender of our use of the y word as spurs fans to someone who will no longer use it um, that's, a, that's a big thing to to to, um, to say. I think it's a bold statement. But we still have people who who feel. I mean, it's a very it's a difficult issue. It's a difficult issue for for non Jewish Spurs fans. It's also a difficult issue for Jewish Spurs fans. We've had people who who want us to continue to use the Y word. Who yeah. 
and, and make a really good point, um, but it does cause hurt to other Jewish Spurs fans. So it's a difficult one. It's a really, really, really challenging topic and something that is clearly not going to please everyone, no matter what happens. I do think it will be phased out over time, ultimately. And unless there's like a big campaign, I don't think that'll be too quick. I think it'll be a something we hang on to for a few more years yet. But really interesting to open this discussion. And um, thanks to everyone who's engaged and especially thanks to those who've submitted their thoughts via voice notes, which we're very happy to receive. Boys, do we want to talk about these these COVID cancellations? I mean, Spurs just... Why can't we just have one normal week? <laughs> why, why can't we just stay out of the news for a change? Let's just fly under the radar. But oh no, um, very much in the news. The COVID outbreak at the training ground amongst players, staff, under-23 players. Uh, Spurs ultimately made the decision to cancel the match against Wren on the Thursday. Um, we'd actually tweeted earlier on that afternoon uh, that the game should be cancelled. To care is to do was the hashtag we used. Thank you very much to um, Alex for sort of pushing us towards that. Alex B. Jamie for the Photoshop and Reese for the, the hashtag, which I thought was a stroke of genius. And to everyone who got behind it and retweeted it. I think Spurs had probably like been on the path to making that decision anyway. I don't think our campaign had any effect on, on the outcome this time. But uh, it, I felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, Daryl Brugink says, Remember when Leighton Orient forfeited to Spurs due to a COVID outbreak? We should do the same. Besides, do we really need this competition? Um, Buddy, what did you think of this situation and how do you feel now about the Europa Conference League? I mean, I've always been pretty pro-Conference uh, League. I'd like to win it. I think it's an, a nice cup and very winnable. But um, now with the kind of backlog of games that are building up and the fact that we now have Conte in charge. So so when it was Nuno, I was all for this because realistically, I didn't think top four was something we could do. And But I thought Conference League was. Now all of a sudden with Conte, I'm, I'm, we're looking at top fours as a real possibility. So I'm quite happy to to bid it off and not get the title of like first time winners of this competition. Let's let's just focus on the league and get that done. Nathan, how did this make you feel? Um, obviously, it's something that affected the squad quite a bit. Conte seemed genuinely really quite upset by the whole thing. Um, what, what were your thoughts going into this decision? Well, in terms of like forfeiting, it's um, like I've had enough of this <laughs> this this joke of a competition. Um, we do not need the matches right now, um, even more so with, with other Premier League games that will come around. Um, I think that the, the Daryl pointing to the Leighton Orient match is, is very smart. I hadn't considered that. The thing now is that like Spurs fans feel personally attacked by yeah. Ren and now and like want vengeance and want to drag it out as much as possible. I mean that probably won't affect the actual decision coming out of Spurs so much, but um but there's this growing <laughs> like uh hatred of Ren. Um I don't know. It's a yeah. Um What do you think UEFA should do? Pack in as an organization. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think that there should be um ongoing international competition during a global, you know, <laughs> deadly pandemic. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there should have been, you know, international competition over the summer. I don't think that there should have been Europa or Champions League the last couple of seasons. But that's obviously not going to be reflected in reality. I guess the closest thing to that is having prepared some kind of protocol other than like you can still play if you have 13 players including goalkeepers and, and, and youth B, players yeah. it's just it's insane um it is insane uh, you're right it's completely yeah. insane I, I think um one of the other things sorry is that 
forfeiting the game means more than just losing 3-0, you also forfeit. Uh, one of the, the Discord users brought to our attention that you, you forfeit the earlier money you'd won in the competition and, and you're penalised in, in various ways. So the first thing would be to like allow teams to forfeit by just you know taking the L and that's it. Um which would be so inviting for Spurs on this. And I think that like maybe what will happen is that we'll go back and forth with UEFA and we'll talk to them and they'll say, okay, you could take the 3-0 defeat, but we'll still allow, you know, we won't put these other harsher things on you. And that should have just been the existing structure from the start. Absolutely. And there, there, you're right, there has to be some flexibility here. This is a, an unprecedented situation. Uh, it could have been could have been planned for, as you say, but it's it's happened. It's far worse than anyone expected. Um, our players were being put at risk by being asked to train for this game. So, of course, they need to abandon some of their rules and principles. And the thing that I find striking is that they insisted that the game be completed by the 31st of December if it were to be rearranged. That could easily just be extended, right? They could just give an extra couple of weeks grace and allow the clubs to find a mutually beneficial date into January. That that would be a fairly easy sort of solution. Um, but absolutely, in terms of the fines and... Um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> It seems unfair to me that this is a making. This is a, an issue, a situation not of Spurs' making. It's a very unfortunate situation. Having said that, <laughs> I don't think Spurs have handled this particularly well themselves. Um, no. Judging from the correspondence we've seen from Wren, Spurs waited for them to travel over, waited for their fans to travel over, and then sent through an email with the announcement that they cannot oh, go enough. ahead. Like it should have been pretty clear the night before. Well, that... I, I think Wren's. They did what they they had to do. They couldn't not travel because then the then they would have got then they would have been in trouble. They Indeed. had to they had to continue and act even if they knew it wasn't going to happen. They had to continue with the the, the charade just so nothing fell back on them. But Tottenham pissing off UEFA is it's not it's not new. In '95 we got <laughs> in big trouble for um, fielding understrength teams in the Inter Toto Cup. I think I think we played Alan Pardew. In, we did. In we had him on trial. Yeah, uh, I think it was like 35, 36 at the time. We got our record ever defeat was against um, uh, Cologne 9 0 in that competition. And we got banned from Europe, not that we ever qualified for Europe back then, um, for two years. And on appeal, they took it away. But England still got in trouble. The coefficient still got in trouble. So, you know, we have form of upsetting UEFA. Probably already in the bad books due to the, um, the Super League stuff, also. Mm. That can't help. So I imagine that the situation is already pretty frosty. So we, we wait and see. We wait and see what happens. Obviously, the second game was then cancelled. The match against Brighton at the weekend, again, seemed completely sensible. seemed very sensible for Spurs to close the training ground for three days, sort of acting as a bit of a circuit breaker in terms of stopping the contacts between the players, but also allowing time for any belated positive cases to come out so that you don't have people training who are positive but don't know they're positive yet. That was the, the key for me. Um, so that's, I think that's been dealt with pretty well. It seems like they took advice from people and, and did the right thing there, which was which was really good. So hopefully we get a game on Thursday against Leicester um, if both teams are able to sort of field seems, a relatively full-strength side. Seems kind of quick. Hmm. Seems pretty pretty fast from where we were. And then talking about more po- new positives, it seems a little rushed to me. So, so it sounds like a couple of the players who were initially positive are now back in training. So they must have tested negative a couple of times okay. to allow that to be the case. Right, but I'm saying if if a, if a fresh person is now mm. tested positive, mm. um, I don't know. Perhaps the cycle starts again. That's the concern. And, and, and it's popping up at Manchester United now. Um, 
I I think that like um it while it might sort of this batch is winding up, I think it's going to be a Premier League problem for a while. But oh yeah, mm. yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I do we, think I do think it's inevitable that there will be behind closed doors football matches in the very near future, and possibly another break in the Premier League. Possibly, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, that's that's it for this week, really, isn't it? That's the that's the the big Spurs news. But didn't some, lose. We didn't lose. Yeah, undefeated mm. since the previous <laughs> loss. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, Nathan. <laughs> no, cutting no cutting problem. edge insight yeah. on the extra. This is why they. This is why people listen in. Yeah. Uh, today there is some reporting on on Delhi. So let's have another conversation about Delhi. I think. Uh, I mean, should we not? Should we, just, should we just... sell him? Move on. Let's get. Let's just remove. Just so we don't have to keep talking about him. Spurs should sell him. I suppose the interesting thing here is um, the reporting sort of seems quite certain of the situation. So mm-hmm. I imagine they've got word from one camp or the other, and by that I mean either Delhi's people or Spurs's people. I think Spurs people, by the yeah. tone of things. Yeah, I th- I thought that yeah. too. You kind of know when it's serious, when it's not understands or suggests or could be, when it's just like Spurs will sell or will listen to offers. It's mm. when it, yeah, when there's when there's no excitement around it, it's it's fact. Yeah, and I think the reason that's interesting is because Antonio Conte said very recently that he wants another month to look at the players and decide yeah what he's going to do with them all. So it Maybe does it's seem from Delhi's end could be the, not the not the reporting. Sorry, the 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 request. Yeah, Delhi's saying I'd like to go, and Spurs are saying okay, and Conte saying yeah, whatever. Um, maybe could be, could be. Yeah, I'm. I, I think there are some potential takers at the moment as well. I think that I, I know for a fact there are. Yeah, interesting. Ooh, uh, are they uh, English based or? I can't say any more than that. Come on, give us the ITK. Give I'll us tell that you sweet ITK. Them, I've stopped recording. Oh great! Then I could I could tell Discord with my no, alarm emoji. <laughs> but buddy, there will be both. There will be there will be clubs in Europe that want Delhi, and there will be clubs in the Premier League that want Delhi. I think Maybe. Newcastle will absolutely be one of those clubs. I mean, it's, Burnley. <laughs> well, Maxwell Cornet has just got injured, so they do need Fuck's a sake. they do need another striker. But no, not Burnley. Everton would be Everton would be desperate, I'm sure, for a goal scorer, and I think Delhi would play very well with Calvert Lewin. Norwich. For the sake of his career, he needs to go to a club who control the play and and have you know structure in possession. And maybe there's fewer clubs of those who are going to be in for him. Mm, mm. Um, I think he'd do very well in the Bundesliga. Uh, but I mean, we wait and see whether it's a loan or uh, a permanent. That's the other interesting thing because if 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 uh, it's a case of getting his spark back and trying to sort of get his sharpness again and then we I mean the, okay, so this is what I'm thinking if we sell Delhi now it's selling him at a very low point I mean the lowest point he's been yeah, since he's been in the Spurs sure, well yeah but I think that's that's been a plateaued situation for a year and I just don't think Delhi or the club feel strongly that that's going to pick up mm-hmm. so yeah like sure we should have sold higher but we can't now sell higher we have to I like I, I think it's a shame I think that we have made a mess of things but at this point it's just like fine you know mm-hmm. for the best of him for the best of us let's just sure let's just go and then we can stop talking about him and stop upsetting <laughs> significant portions of our listeners by singing, <laughs> singing his praises absolutely <laughs> absolutely um I also wanted to talk about the um Juventus all or nothing show that's on Amazon Prime um, had an email from Alexander Nathan thank you very much Alexander who he's kind of summed up 
the, the show and it makes for an interesting comparison. So let me just read a couple of sections of Alexander's email to us. Uh, he says, firstly, in pre-season, the players are doing exercises and one of the directors, who may be Nedved or Paratici, he forgets, is warning Pirlo that the players are complaining. And Pirlo replies dismissively and says, if they saw what we did under Conte, they'd kill themselves. Uh, another point is where Pirlo actually managed to beat Conte's Inter a couple of times. And on one of those occasions, he tells his team, Inter's plays are all memorised. If we block it, they don't know what to do. Interesting. It's true. Yeah, you've said that before, Nathan. <laughs> it's like it's like the set pieces thing again, right? It's if teams come well prepared, like goals are available for every team who wants to score goals from corners if they prepare for them specifically. And Conte's team is possible to shut down if you know the patterns and you prepare specifically around the patterns. But by and large, they don't. And so... <laughs> well, the thing is, who has time in this congested exactly. fixture list to, to do that? It's so Conte's sort of making an educated guess that they're not going to bother. Uh, the third and final point that Alexander makes is that there are very strong comparisons with the Spurs series in that there are numerous occasions where you see the team going at half time and they're drawing or losing and Ronaldo or Bonucci or Pirlo rant and rave about mentality and courage and bravery and confidence and growing Bunks. a pair yes, and we'll see we who the men are only <laughs> yeah. for the second half to be the same or worse than the first half. Uh, and he says it's both sad and funny. Football seems to be full of people just shouting arbitrary shit that has little to no impact on how well, the players yeah, but do. Then, for me, this just like this actually relieves some critique of Mourinho because it shows yeah. that that like that it's like, not just him. This is the Amazon model, right? That this goes on <laughs> at every football club to an extent, um, but like then they cut out the actual interesting and worthwhile bits and montage together the you know enormous bollocks pieces. <laughs> Which, which I think, like that's not necessarily needed. But like, if that's only a small fraction of what goes on at halftime compared to the rest, it doesn't seem so bad because that's all Amazon can show. That's all we get, and so you get the impression, and we got the impression <laughs> of of like you know, uh, uh, both Mourinho and now Pielo as as managers who just you know talk a load of nonsense <laughs> at halftime and then nothing changes. So it's, so for me, I I I dim down my critique of Mourinho by a couple of percentile points based off that. And it's also, this is appealing to people who, as well as Juventus fans, people who are just curious as well. And the whole thing of, um, if their result turns around, it's not, the, the viewer doesn't want to see, oh, it's because of this thing they repeated 15 times on a training ground, moving this one, this one player came inside two metres. They want it to be, you know, Hollywood blockbuster. It's because a man banged his hand into his fist and told him to be better. They want that kind of half-time yeah. NFL kind of thing. Oh, let's do it better, guys. And then they just chuck <laughs> the ball and it go, everything goes slow-mo and it works. That's what sells. That's the, that's the popcorn. Sure. Yeah. Telling people to have bigger balls is, you know, tactically it's not really going to work or change anything. And um, he did actually say there's one bit where Pirlo tears into to Chiesa. Yeah. And Chiesa goes out and has a better half. And that's... Probably not. That's, Chiesa was very like that. He's very hit and miss. But yeah, I don't think it's because Pirlo shouted at him. It's just some <laughs> things worked and it and it changed. Yeah, and I do think it's it's yeah. I mean, we thought it was Mourinho who went out and did that. Pirlo is a we know Pirlo is a bit more of a thinker when it comes to football. So he's just been painted in the kind of stereotypical Mourinho brush of this is what a manager does to motivate players. He he, well, t- he shouted their balls. Absolutely, that's it. He he's <laughs> he, he's, <laughs> he's he's institutionalized. That's that's been his life for the last twenty years. So of course he uses 
the same tactics that he's he's seen over and over and over again. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, so in, in, in place of the football this weekend, our ex-subs somehow managed to get me excited for the, for the F1. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of them. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an F1 thread on the Discord. Um, Jamie and Marcus and Sam and Greg and Kieran and Clemmy and... James and Callie and many others are all very knowledgeable. Marcus less so, you know, Marcus pretends like he knows stuff, but he knows nothing. Uh, I, I just, I just. Um, and so I, I sat down, I, I had some some beers lined up, chose some really nice beers that I've been looking forward to drinking for ages, uh, some snacks, um, really enjoyed the opening of the race and a bit of drama in the first lap and then Hamilton looks like he's running away with it, and I'm I'm very excited because I've become a Lewis Hamilton fan. Uh, and then there's some absolute bullshit that happens, and I'm like, how is this? How is this a sport? How can this be allowed to happen? Uh, Bud, you're an F1 fan. What? What on earth? How is that a thing that they can just essentially remove a 13 second whatever it was gap and say, okay, just have a have a race off with one of you with a set of tires brand new and perfect for the for the track state and the other with tires that are god knows how many laps old i mean i'm fully team max i've been i've been against Lewis for, for many 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 years after he made um massa's dad cry that day in brazil when massa on his home circuit won a race and hamilton was coming in six and he needed to finish below fifth for massa to win uh, the championship for ferrari then on the last corner timo glock just gave it up uh, so you've you, you just outed yourself there. As soon as you said yeah. for Ferrari, I was like, yeah, yeah okay, now I understand. <laughs> of course. But- <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, F1 um, manufacturing things to create a, a dramatic point or a dramatic finish of the season is, is not new. It, it goes on forever. And it's they, they wanted the Hollywood blockbuster finish. They had their own Netflix show. They wanted the, the whole season to come down to a final lap. And they got it. And they, 
they didn't break the rules, but they bent the rules. And that's that's what happens in F1 all the time. If, if it's not hard and fast, if the rule doesn't exist in concrete, it's there to be tweaked. All the teams do it. FIA do it. The stewards do it. Everybody does it. And it, it created incredible, incredible drama. And it's just you English that are upset. The rest of the world <laughs> is like celebrating because it was the up and coming youngster took on the... the he's who a, I, he's, I, he's I a like shit Hamilton. though, isn't he? Verstappen. He's a right little I, shit. <laughs> I like Hamilton for what he stands for and everything else. He's great. But as a racing driver, no, I hope he, hope he ends up in the sand every race. But So it, what happened was a brilliant piece of drama and a brilliant piece of sport that will be talked about for many, many years. And just got to appreciate it. You know, and Hamilton's got seven world championships. I mean, how many more do you want? <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I, I get it. I completely get it. And apparently there's been some other controversies that have gone the opposite way throughout the season as well. So the sort of air quotes, it evens itself out across the course of the season, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But that was some bullshit. <laughs> It was absolutely some <laughs> some peak bullshit. Wasn't um, against the rules. It was it was allowed. There wasn't a rule well, they, to stop they, those. They, they changed. They essentially changed the rules as they went along, didn't they? Or they just made up new rules. Well, because they didn't exist a rule to stop them from doing it, and that's that's a one. A, a sport that's so scientific, it can. It, yeah, it's it's probably more bent than FIFA. Than, yeah, than football it felt very bent but yeah Greg's trying to get me back in for next season maybe I'll watch the first race of next season and see how I feel about F1 because um, I understand there's new rules and also a new um, English teammate of Hamilton so s- someone else to get behind which will be interesting I see what Ferrari are doing if Ferrari are rubbish again then I, I, I can't I just I just step away from it I can't watch them <laughs> kind of plunder plunder around the track they're doing anything back to football um, mm. Ivan Victor or Ivan Victor apologies Ivan even uh, what do you think Tanganga's best position is he's a young player and as far as I can tell has been asked to play centre back right back and right wing back and I would add there actually left back he may not be a Conte player but it seems like he has talent where is his best position what do you think Nathan Tanganga well I think that his best performances to date have come in a defensive fullback role um, under multiple managers two is a multiple I guess Um and that is because his 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 stronger skill is his his one v one defending, whereas his sort of more spatial defending um, can undermine him at centre back. And also, he's a decent ball carrier. He has a really wide gate um, that he uses smartly. Um, so I think that I think at least for the next few years, he should aim for fullback, which doesn't really suit being at Spurs right now. Because although the wide centre back role is fullback like, it still isn't a fit for Tanganga's specific skill set. Um, so I don't know. Mm. <laughs> it's not good. It's not a happy answer, is it? No, no works no, for it. No, I mean I've been saying for a few weeks that I think Tanganga's days are numbered at Spurs. Okay, it, well, it is slightly wild to me that we consider fullback to be his best position, having watched him play zero fullback and a hundred percent centre back over many years in our academy. Um, Mourinho gets the credit for that, I guess. Brought him in at fullback, and uh, and the lad done well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see this being a happy fit in a in a Conte system. I just don't think he's good enough in possession of the the ball to be able to allow us to build from the back. And I think that's a real problem for Tanganga, who I do think is a very competent defender, and I think he'll go on to have an excellent career wherever he ends up. But um, I feel he should have gone on loan this year. In hindsight. I suspect he didn't go on loan because of the doubts over Matt Doherty's ability to cover a right back. Bardi, what, how are you feeling about Tanganga? 
Yeah, I just don't see it working for him. I think he's a, a decent enough defender and he's a decent enough defensive fullback, but that's not the system we play. And if we can get some money for him, that's great. There are plenty of clubs that would take Tanganga for sure. Mm-hmm. He would be in demand, I think, if he were up for sale. Um, Matt Bogard says, how will Romero's return help Davis? I worry now that Sanchez not being able to get forward would allow teams to focus more on Davis. Will Romero make the same runs forward as Davis does when he returns, which would prevent teams from game playing against him? Um Nathan, we did see Romero make a few bursts forward before his injury, uh, perhaps not as consistently as Ben Davis has since then. But what do you think? Do you think we'll sort of see a bit of balance in terms of one can go and the other stays and then they they, they switch over again? Yes. Yes, I think so. I think um, I still think that it will lean towards more Davies going and Romero staring. But the, 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 the attractive point is that like watching Romero's performances for Atalanta he did a lot of like from the central position carrying the ball like he has like tackles in the opposition penalty box because he's carried the ball forward lost it and then immediately challenged for the ball again right um so carrying the ball forward was a big part of his play at Atalanta um because like uh okay in like central possession he was very limited with his passing at Atalanta because that's what the role required of him he was his job was to access the two wide center backs and so although his sort of ball progression numbers were quite poor and didn't look promising at all when you actually looked at the footage the ability the technical ability on display suggested that he would transfer really well to a more traditional forward passing center back role and it has done Mm -hmm. um but where he would show up like one of the big things that supported that is that when neither of those two passes were an option, instead of passing forwards, he would carry forwards and he looks really good doing that. So, um, yeah, I think that's a, an astute question from Matt. Nice. Bardi, we're desperate to get Romero back, aren't we? Yeah, I think it just offers us a nice bit of balance to be able to go left or right. Instead of just having to focus down the left, we could become a little bit um, predictable. Plus uh, everything that he gives us in a the, in the defensive point of view. But, you know, I thought Sanchez did pretty good in our last game, which, which seems like it was ages ago. Who was that? <laughs> against Norwich. Yeah, I thought he did pretty well in that game. And he, he wasn't the clusterfuck that he was against Mura. So, you know... Hopefully Romero's back soon, but Sanchez Sanchez's doing okay. Tim in Staines, which is um, just up the road from me as well. Uh, he says, I remember back in the day when Harry Kane was just starting to break through. Windy and his TFC youth updates used to talk about how Kane was really more of a number 10 than a number 9. Are we finally seeing this come to fruition? Should we maybe embrace how he's changing and the fact that he isn't going to get 25 goals a season anymore, but is still a phenomenal player? Um Nathan, we saw lots of Kane dropping deep under Mourinho. In fact, it was his primary function was to drop deep and, and create for others. Do you think he's essentially more of a 10 than a 9 now? I have plans for doing a bit of a video on this. Mm. But um, the reason he's more of a 10 and less of a 9 now is not because he's doing things he wasn't doing before. As in, he's always done the dropping deep and playing over and he started to do that more. But he's less of a nine because he's now not able to keep up with a play afterwards and sprint ahead and then become the nine at the end of the move. Right, he does. he's always done the, the contribution and build up. He's still doing the contribution and build up. He's then, when we have fast attacks, which is mainly what we've had under Conte, those direct plays from out the back. 
or um, counterattacks. He's then like not turning around and sprinting into the <laughs> into the twelve yard box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see see the Son goal against Brentford as an example there of something that, yeah. that Kane would have done back in the day, but now he's the one spraying the pass out to Regulon. Um, yeah, I think that's a really really useful point. I don't think we should give up on that being an option in the future, though. I think there's still room for Kane to not not in the way he used to on his fresh, young, uninjured ankles. But uh, I think there's potential there for Kane to have a more rounded role once again once we uh, become a more um, competent team under Conte. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you can play Kane as a 10 in a Conte team. I just don't think he's got the legs to, to press and get involved. It's all well and good. He can link the play and everything else like that. But I do think you're you're compromising. You could get like a 10 like Ericsson who could do the pressing, do the running and the passing. And I think the team would be better off to, to sell Kane and folk. And if they're going to play Kane as a 10, sell Kane and buy a proper number 10 that could do everything or just play Kane as a 9. I, don't, I think by playing Kane off another striker, I think you're just losing one player in, in build-up and defensive actions as well. I'm, I'm happy with the current setup. I think everything works as it is. And I think that as we have more continued possession attacks, that we will we'll get to see Kane as a 9. He just, it's just harder mm. for him to be both at the same time. Mm-hmm. He has to do a bit of one and then a bit of the other and his legs can't carry him so much between the two roles quite as much. But I don't think, I don't think there are issues here, basically. No, there's, there's there a, is there is an issue. No, I don't think there is an issue. I just think if if we start building a team around Kane playing as this number ten, I think we may we may have issues. There's a lot of adjustments still to go, isn't there? We've mm-hmm. seen Son in particular, I think, struggle to get to grips with the role that he's being asked to fulfil at times. Obviously, he's he's picked up his goal scoring again, which is wonderful. But some of his general play has been underwhelming, I would say, under Conte so far. And um, and Lucas is still one extreme to the other in terms of his ability on the ball. So. Um, there's a, there's a big adjustment still to go, and I, I think I do think it will happen relatively quickly now. Once we get a bit of momentum, and we have a, a few few games where we can sort of we've got some confidence and we've got some wins behind us. Let's carry that on and see how it translates. I, th- I, I definitely think we'll see a, an improvement quite quickly. Liam Martin says something that has struck me in the past couple of seasons is the lack of penalties that Spurs have received in comparison to the seasons under Pochettino. Makes Kane's last season all the more impressive. Is this indicative of the lack of attacking patterns under the Portuguese duo, or is it an issue with personnel and a lack of dynamism in the attackers? Or is this an anomaly and Spurs have been unlucky? Really interesting timing of that question from Liam after a weekend where the number of penalties proportionate to the number of goals scored in the Premier League was exceptionally high. Um, Yeah, and I I think... I mean, I think it's just because we're in the box less. That's is the obvious thing to say. I mean, I remember in the 90s when fans used to get so annoyed at Man United getting constant penalties in matches. And it's like, well, yeah, because they're really good and they spend half the match in the opposition's penalty box. Of course, they're going to get penalties. It's, it's a natural consequence of, of that style. Um, and I, I think I, I've not looked, but I imagine that the number of touches we have in the penalty area have dropped significantly since Pochettino to now. Um, and I imagine once Conte gets gets things working, we'll see the return of penalties at Spurs. I mean, it, the last season we were in the top the top ten for most penalties scored. I, I don't know this is including missed, but I don't think we missed that many really. But 2016-2017, we scored seven penalties, which was level with Bournemouth, Liverpool, and Man City. And that was the last time we got near the top ten. Other than that, we've been kind of flitting around 13th, 14th in the Premier mm. League, and. Mm. I'm I'm not sure why that is. We do we we do think of ourselves as having tricky wingers who who get in the box and even towards the latter days of uh, Pochettino, I'd have expected that number to be a bit higher. But uh, 
Yeah, I think I think we do. We are a little bit unlucky as well in penalties. But I do think the fact that we do we don't put teams under sustained pressure and get them to to make mistakes by keeping the ball and and forcing them into errors is is a been a huge problem in our attacking play. Yeah, that's a really good point. Under Mourinho in particular, there was lots of sort of short, sharp attacks, which were exciting to watch, but they, it wasn't sustained, was it? It was kind of, you know, we'll let you have the ball for half an hour and then we'll kill you with an incisive counter-attack rather than we're camped out on the edge of your box. We're asking you to make lots of tackles inside it. All right, Nathan, any thoughts on this? I mean, uh, penalties are like largely created from situations in which like defenses are strained i don't think that they don't like because like when a team who play a lot of possession are winning a lot of penalties they say well of course we're winning a lot of penalties we're constantly in the opposition's penalty area and when a team who play on the counter-attack winning a lot of penalties <laughs> and they're accused of having to be like well of course we are you know we're attacking <laughs> through space with our fast dribbly players so i think that the trend is just like general attacking threat yeah, sure. But I also think the trend is just like not very strong. And so you'll get season and there obviously there are other factors like um club size and um uh crowd loudness and <laughs> yeah. just another stuff. And, and also like, you know, sloppy defenders and brilliant uh attackers, and I mean brilliant both in terms of their ability to put strain on the defenders and also manipulate that strain to dive. Um so Yes, I think that our penalties will increase as we get gooder. But I also think that there's just such a weak trend between like anything and penalties, basically. Do you have uh, any theory as to why there were so many penalties this particular weekend? Because Spurs didn't play this weekend. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I think like because I. Oh God, I thought about an ill-advised video where I do my big what is a foul spiel over the videos of the fouls that weren't fouls or were fouls. I think they probably were. Um, but I, I, I decided not to because right. I, don't, I don't want the heat. <laughs> I, I think there was definitely a conversation with referees before the weekend about, you reckon? about uh, stuff that's been unpunished that should have been punished. Okay, but then the, it, we've had this before and it becomes a short-term thing yeah. where it's like, remember when it was like, oh, we're going to start punishing um, pulling at corners. Yeah. And so yeah. they did that for like four weeks and there were a bunch of red cards and penalties. And then it reverted back to normal. It's like, well, what did you achieve by yeah. doing that for a few weeks? And it, maybe maybe if your theory's there, then we'll have this. But then we just have the weekend where, like, in order <clears throat> in order for it to be worth anything, it has to change things medium to long term, right? You have to say, right, players, you're not getting away with this anymore, and then continue to punish that every time until they stop doing it, <laughs> right? Um, but this is just, like, minor defensive issues, like mistakes where you're stepping across a player. I, if the decision is to try to eradicate that from the game, it's just, what's the goal here? Mm. I don't. The whole thing is ridiculous. So if if there if there has been a make sure you give out a whole bunch of penalties because we missed some before, it's like that does that doesn't even things out. That doesn't right wronged clubs. <laughs> what a load of bollocks! What a load of bollocks! I think. Um, so I think there's been a, a thing for a couple of weeks with the VAR decisions not being overturned that should have been overturned because the threshold is too high. And, and so they've gone, okay, well you just award a few more penalties and then we won't have that conversation about the threshold being too high. That's my, that's my suspicion. Um, but you, I think you make a really good point and it's, 
it's very annoying from a fan's perspective. What we don't like as fans is inconsistency. We don't really care that much about how the. No, we love inconsistency. That's not true at all. No, if Spurs win a penalty every week (laughs) and no one else wins penalties, we love that. If it's it's on the same cause, I don't think we love inconsistency at all. We also make consistent calls for common sense, but consistency and common sense are at oppositions to one another. So what we're calling for is is nonsense. We just want our team to win. Okay, ignore your own team. Ignore your own team and what we hate as fans is inconsistency. It's really annoying to watch one... It's really annoying. No, I mean, like, take your team out of the equation for the the purpose of this discussion. Yeah. And it's really annoying when you watch one match and something happens and it isn't penalised and then you watch another match and Raul Jimenez stops a free kick being taken and is given a second yellow card and is sent off and therefore the game is basically over because it's 10 against 9 for the rest of it. And that's like... That's irritating because it might happen against us the next week and isn't penalised. And, and so, like, I think the point I'm making is I don't care what the rules are as long as they're applied consistently and fairly. And that's very it's a very hard thing to achieve, but they should at least have a go. And like the the um, yeah, there's just different different referees have different lines. Who was it I was watching the other day? I forget which match it was, but there was a referee who let two challenges go inside the first 15 minutes that were absolute nailed on yellow cars. And I was like, what What are you hoping to achieve here, mate? Like, clearly, you you want this to be a, um, a blood and thunder old school Premier League game. But actually, you've set yourself a very difficult challenge now because you're going to have to let stuff go for the whole game. And of course, he didn't. He started, he started booking players for fouls that were less than the two that he'd let go in the first 15 minutes. But... And and that that is annoying to me as a fan. I find that frustrating. I find like it's bad enough between matches, but in the same match when there's inconsistency in decision making, that's uh, very irritating to to see. Yeah, I'm I'm um I generally think that the standard of refereeing has improved significantly in recent years, and I think VAR will ultimately lead to it being better still. But I don't think we've got it quite right yet in terms of consistency between matches and also the threshold at which decisions are reviewed i mean var has has stopped referees going out on the limb that's why it has improved is because they don't have to make a a judgment call they've seen something they can let it go safe in the knowledge the var will pick it up Mm. so i I don't know whether that's improved things or made things worse it's like if if you've got a, a car which will automatically break if there's something happening in front of you does that make you a better driver or is it just the technology helping you out if that yeah it's, it's that kind of thing at the moment which is the question mark for me i don't think our refs are better i just think they're they're relying on the tech to help them through yeah i think that's a fair point as well uh this is this is an interesting one Vardy. Bakubi Koiz says, should we be concerned with the reports coming from Italy in regards to Juve, Paratici and financial corruption? Should we as Spurs fans never again get our hopes up because something like this is bound to happen? <laughs> I mean, it's um, Italy and financial corruption. It's they, they, they go to dinner together. There's nothing different there. There's nothing, yeah, there's nothing to get excited about. Juventus are cooperating with this, which is a sign that it's, it's fine. They've got it under control. Um, I mean, Juventus could pump all their players full of all kinds of drugs in in the mid mid to yeah, mid to late nineties, win everything, and nothing happens. So it's fine. If it if it was like Fiorentina 
or Atalanta or, or one of these teams being investigated for corruption, yeah, it's 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 big trouble. But Juventus, they're fine. You know, waste our Royco. You're not gonna no no one's gonna take them down. Oh, Bardi, I watched the I watched the finale on my lunch break. I haven't seen it yet, Wendy, and I'm sure many listeners haven't seen it yet. So don't say anything. You're gonna love it so much. Yeah, but don't even say that. Don't even say you love it because <laughs> even that makes me think about what's going to happen. Just say you've seen it and then go. Yeah, don't do anything. Nathan, do you watch Succession? I haven't seen any of the third season yet. I'm, I, I will start it all now. It's really interesting because there are very mixed reviews for the third season. I think it's the best yet, personally, but many people don't rate it. They think it's just gone a bit flat. It's just people like it to hate. I'm, I like to hate on things when it gets too big. And I was, you know, part of me was probably hoping that this this would be the season it went too big, but it's still brilliant, brilliant, brilliant TV. And the scripts are just incredible. Yep. It's, it's... I'll, I'll watch it and then and then we'll we'll go in depth. We'll do a little end of the end end of the episode spoiler zone. Nice, nice. After a period of time in which almost everyone will have seen it anyway. Mm. Awesome. Okay. Well, um, I think we'll leave it there, boys. We've we've managed to fill the majority of an hour in a week with no Spurs matches. So so well done to you both. Um, <laughs> hopefully, next time we record, there will actually be some some Spurs games to talk about. I mean. We look at. I'm looking. I was having a little chat with um, with Spooky about this on Twitter. And you look at the table and you see um, the Spurs played 14, two games in hand. Mm. And then is anyone else already banked those six points? <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, we're on 31 points already, and it's it's, it's football's not like that. But I'm already looking at title challenges, Windy, because those six points exist in my mind. It's, uh, do you know what? Under Nuno, I'd be looking at Burnley and Brighton and saying, hmm, maybe we'll get a point, two points from those. Under Conte, yeah, six points, no doubt. Clear. We go clear top four, and then we're we, we're pulling in. We're pulling ourselves into the conversation for a title. <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I definitely would take top four right now. <laughs> and I, I do strongly believe we will achieve top four. I uh, mean, I'm going to... You on, on Saturday when Chelsea were drawing, you were already talking about catching Chelsea, Wendy. No, and I've I, never I, seen you like this before. <laughs> I gave the eyes emoji, didn't I? And uh, and then they scored almost instantly. Oh, well, just our luck. Thank you to Jack Shepard for sharing his thoughts on the Y word, which you will hear now. Hi, lads. Um, firstly, I want to say how much I appreciate the time you've given on this pod to this debate lately. One of the things I dislike the most is how often people use this debate to defer their own agenda, which I genuinely don't get the impression you're doing, which is really appreciated. I also want to say that despite the opinion I'm about to give, I totally respect people who have the opposite view on this topic, and I understand where they're coming from. I'm a Jewish Spurs fan who grew up in Barkingside. I went to school where I was in a minority, and I experienced anti-Semitism regularly. I also was very involved in my synagogue, teaching in Haida, taking service, but most relevantly to this, volunteering for the CST, who are a um, volunteer organisation that provides security and anti-terrorism protection to Jews and synagogues in the UK. I've seen and experienced a fair share of anti-Semitism. I've seen pigs' heads tied to our railings. I've had packs of bacon put into my school bags. I've been called everything under the sun. I've even been assaulted because of it. Now, I'm also, I'm also a Spurs fan, always have been. And the one place I've never received anti-Semitic abuse is at Spurs. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure it happens, but it never has to me. I've always felt safe and very empowered by the use of the Y word and the history and association the club has with my community. It's really hard to explain the feeling of being somewhere outside of my home or my synagogue, where I can wear my mug and David over my t-shirt, 
and feel safe and comfortable. It's it's not common. It's it's a big deal for me. I think the debate on the the Y word has become so complicated. I don't really come down heavily on either side despite this. I just want to share my positive views and my experiences, um, which I think people might find interesting. On David Baddiel, he's coming up a lot, and for me too positively. I quite strongly dislike the man. Um, I feel he's got an agenda and is quite narrow-minded. Um, a Chelsea fan literally went to jail a few months back for wearing a shirt to a game that said Adolf 6 million on the back. And yet Spurs to him are the biggest problem. It, it just bothers me. He's got a problematic history of racist um, actions himself as well. So if you want to research that, um, I'll let people do that. I don't want to go into it, but uh, I don't know. My final thought is that people have hated us Jews since the 16th century, maybe before. <laughs> it will never stop. Even the Holocaust didn't make people hate us any less. But now, apparently, Spurs singing one less song is going to fix everything. Not for me. All it will do is remove one more place where I can feel safe and proud being Jewish. If you'd like to share your views, you are very welcome to submit a voice note to podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. It will be wonderful if you could introduce yourself at the beginning of that voice note or let us know in your email that you don't wish to be named. Either of those options is completely fine. We understand. Uh, we've really, really appreciated the range of um, views and opinions we've had so far. All very thoughtful and considerate. And basically, it's just told us what we already knew, that our listeners are the absolute best. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.